Good morning, Park Church. Thank you, Karen and Matt and worship band uh, for leading us. And uh, part of what we have read and sung uh, already today is Psalm 16. We uh, want to learn from that as well together today. And uh, part of what we've already uh, done in song is a little question of how long. And as we sang that this morning, it occurred to me that there are some of us that that's a, a deep question in us, like how long? How long will this uh, pain, uh, will this suffering, either in your heart or maybe in those that you know and love and care about, how long? Uh, I'm going to ask you to do two things today. Like the psalm begins, God does this with us. Great picture. There's this picture in Psalm 116, verse 2, that he inclines our ear, his ear toward us. God inclines his ear toward us. That's the, the, the students say that that phrase from Psalm 116 is like this picture of a, a deeply caring and concerned parent like this with a child who wants to cry out or put words to something. Our God is like that. Or, or it, it captures the idea of a, a physician who's wanting to incline the ear to carefully hear what it is in order to know how to respond. So I'm going to ask you to incline your ear to uh, the things from Psalm 116 today and secondly to gain a holding on something that might help you and help us to respond well in times of suffering. Now, the rooted material that we're in, and many of you that are doing in small groups, uh, when Matt and Andy and Brian, others of us, looked at this a while back, we were planning it out and putting dates to topics. And I, I, looked, at, I looked at this day and I said, oh, at first glance, I thought, how great. You know, here's one on surfing. And I thought, oh, we'll have to invite Josh and other people into this. And, where, you know, and then I looked again, no, 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 it's actually suffering. Well, that's a much more difficult thing to talk about, is it not? The reality today that we both live with and we want to focus together on suffering. My next thought was, you know, suffering has been a part of human existence and experience from the beginning. And the Bible says that it will be until the end. There will be an end to this when Jesus returns. But between now and then, this is part of our life and our world. Then I thought to myself, there were these words from a European theologian some, some years ago. And he came to visit the United States. Uh, after his visit, he was interviewed and asked, what he observed to be the greatest defect among, among American Christians. Here's what he said. They have an inadequate view of suffering. Seems like that remains one of our many defects. I think he was right. Then I thought to myself, uh, there are many ebbs and flows of suffering that have sure been part of my experience. I recalled 
some of the painful loss of different hopes and dreams that I've gone through and desires for friends, deaths of friends. Um, we've publicly talked about this, Jan and I, the difficulty we experienced with infertility in the early part of our marriage, the suffering that went with that, the death of family members. Some of you have had this. Um, my dad, it, the simple but deep thing penetrated my soul like I'd never been on planet Earth before without him. And now I would be. I didn't know what that meant, but it sure hurt. And it still does. Uh, like you, many of you, I've been betrayed by people, even people who profess the name of Christ. I've done things that I think were not all that much my fault. Like one time in Phoenix, I was driving along and um, was broadsided by a car that ran a red light. And man, my, you know, my body hurt, you know, for quite a while. Good people helped put me back together. There was physical suffering and there were times it just clearly was my fault, like uh, in a rush and without much common sense. Just a few years ago, I got up on a ladder and up to the top, up on the roof, I like fell off. The interesting thing is the car wreck hit me on this side, fell off the ladder and hit me on this side. One of my friends, I said, don't, don't make me laugh because it hurts so bad <laughs> again. But, uh, you know, he, he encouraged me a bit with saying, well, like, maybe this will balance you out a little bit, you know, Tom. <laughs> but man, did it hurt. You know, I, I violated one of the rules that God set up. We call it gravity. <laughs> and we, I've noticed that when we violate God's design in different ways, we often suffer for it, don't we? That was like my fault. I've suffered with others. I've sat with rejected spouses and orphaned children, displaced refugees. Some of you have done this. I want you to, I want your hearts to move there, go here with me. I've sat with victims of abuse, horrible, people in hospitals. Some young ministry people say, what's the one thing I should do besides staying in my bed? I said, go to children's hospital. Uh, for extra credit, notice how the good staff relates to children who are suffering. I've been to funerals, as many of you have. Suffering in various ways has swarmed into my heart, my body, my soul. It has for you too, hasn't it? Th then I had another thought, and, and I... Uh, when I really started thinking about this, I said, you know, Tom, you're probably the last person who should preach on this subject. Because my level of suffering today, frankly, is like, you know, my nasal passages are a little bit plugged up. Um, but, I, but suffering, like many people have and do, I, I haven't, and frankly, I don't right now. Uh, I haven't been shot or stabbed or brutally beaten up. Now, in childhood, it's not like I didn't have fights, but, you know, you should have seen the other guy. <laughs> you know? 
I haven't had really the trauma of um, armed conflict or of being physically or sexually abused. Some of you have. I don't suffer from chronic physical pain. Some of you do. I haven't experienced the death of one of our children. I haven't experienced demeaning discrimination. I really haven't been horribly persecuted for my faith. Many people are today. I haven't lost everything in a natural disaster. I could go on and on. As you can tell, I like haven't missed many meals. You know, and it occurs to me that like one third of people on planet Earth go to bed hungry every day. You know what I'm talking about? In many ways, I, sh I shouldn't be preaching on suffering. But then I thought, you know, we all do suffer in various ways, and we ought not minimize our suffering or the people who are with us are suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Remember that? And we do. All of us do in various sizes and flavors. Uh, so if you're rather comfortable today and you say, well, like, I'm not suffering a lot, there will likely be a day that you will be pierced with pain and indeed wonder how to respond well to suffering. So how can we think well about suffering and respond well in suffering? Today, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to talk about a theology of suffering. Good people have done that. We're not going to do that. We're, nor are we going to deal with many of the weighty questions that philosophers have uh, asked about suffering. And today is certainly not a survey of all the Bible uh, on what it has to say about suffering. We don't have the time. But in Scripture, almost from the beginning to the end, we find human suffering. It follows man's rebellion against God. And um, like we talked about, it's going to crescendo prior to the return of Jesus. But there will be a day that it will end. The Bible says it's not forever. So today we have read and we will sing and we will focus on Psalm 116. That's what I'd like to do with you. And uh, so that we might think at least reasonably about suffering and be better prepared to respond well as we suffer together. So let's look at a couple of the verses. You might say, where was this in Psalm 116? Or maybe you were still kind of thinking about another conversation when it was read. And let's go back to a few of the verses. I think you'll see it up here. Uh, you can open in your uh, Bible or go to your smart device. We're in Psalm 116. If it's in your printed Bible, you don't know about it, it's like kind of in the middle. Uh, these were a bunch of songs that the Hebrew people would sing. And uh, Psalm 116 and verse 3, in your Bibles, it reads this way. Check it out. The psalmist says, snares of death encompassed me. Pangs of the grave laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. These are very real and raw words. You know, I took a glance at how other... Uh, translators of the Hebrew put this into English words. Listen, some of the other translations and, and, and comments say things like this. It's like, the cords of death were all around me. The horrors of the grave closed in on me. Death was staring me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. 
you hear this? Do you have your ear inclined? He, he went on, it's like, I was filled with fear and anxiety. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. You might say, man, this guy, this time, this guy, like he was in this pit of suffering. And uh, like we sang, you know, it's intense. Some of you know about that. Even last night, it woke you up. Or today, it lives in your heart. The psalmist goes on a little bit later in verse 10, says simply, succinctly, I am greatly afflicted. One of the other translators said, the, the image is, I'm completely crushed. Huh. Verse 11 says, in my great consternation, a word we don't use that much, do we? Like, what is that? The idea is like, in my fear, in my great dismay, I'm like, I, I want everything in me wants to give up on the whole human race. Not, like, no one can be trusted anymore. That can be painful too, can't it? So what's the psalmist doing? There's this brutal honesty about raw pain and real suffering. You notice that God seems very okay with that. In fact, God inclines his ear to it. He cares deeply. The, the, this image in the early part of Psalm 116 is, is his ear is so inclined to our cry. This is a personal God. This is a caring God about us as a people, about you and me personally. Wow. So even today, I want to prompt you with something. I mean, it's one thing we often would ask each other, hey, how you doing? Oh, if you're fine. Oh, if you're okay. You know. Some of you today, that isn't brutally honest or even accurate. And uh, we want you to hopefully sing, hear, learn, be able to weather the storm as Karen prayed. We're going to, at the end of this morning, offer some times for you to pray. We've got some prayer partners, some folks that would love the privilege of crying out to God with you and for you. And uh, God is very good with that. He's very okay with such things. Have you noticed that in suffering, we grab onto something. All of us, like there's this thing, when I've hurt physically the most or in my soul the deepest, I, I've wanted to, you know, like what can I get a hold of? Have you noticed that? Don't we do that? What do we reach out for or hold on to? In Psalm 166, the psalmist calls out to God and he says in verse 6, When I was in great need, God saved me. Verse 7, the Lord was good to me. He ended up bringing my soul to rest. Verse 8 says, he like saved me from death. He kept me from defeat. God was good to me, says in verse 7. But it begs the question, right? God saved him from defeat and provided rest for his soul when he was in profound suffering, like when he was at the end of his rope. But what about the times when this doesn't seem to happen? What about the times when we cry out 
And really, it's if there is no one there and there's no answer. And we don't know what to grab onto, and it seems like there almost is nothing there. That can be part of our experience. We cry out to God, and he seems silent. We ask for relief, and the pain gets worse. We pray for healing. It doesn't happen. And we say, you know, like, if God's powerful, and if he's in charge, where is he? Some of you ask that. Many people, because of evil and suffering, end up turning from God. It's like, well, he can't be there because... Uh, these are times when we don't experience God as hearing our cry or inclining his ear to us. So, like the Bible, if we open this up a bit beyond Psalm 166, do you know that in other Psalms, people cry out to God and God actually hasn't yet answered? And that can be like some of our experience, can't it? In the New Testament, Jesus healed many people in his ministry. He did not heal everyone. Like we've already mentioned, God released Peter from the bonds of prison when people prayed. But God did not take away like his partner in crime, a guy named Paul, partner in the gospel. Uh, from, he, Paul prayed, release me from this thorn in my flesh and that pain. He prayed about it and God didn't. We don't know fully why and he may not have either. Uh, that's where we live, isn't it? Yeah. I want to ask you to reflect on a recent time in history recognized as a time of horrific evil and human suffering. I thought, how could we move our hearts even more deeply into this? This is something that most of us will not experience. We know it as the Holocaust in World War II. I want to reference this because two people wrote about it afterwards, people who were there. And I've learned and I'd like you to learn from them as well. One person who was there was named uh, Eli Weissel. He was an Israeli teenager, and he experienced the horrible suffering at Birkenbaugh, a death camp. He watched as his mother, picture this, his mother, his little sister, the rest of his family were taken away to be tortured and then torched to death in camp ovens. After surviving himself, Birkenbaugh, he wrote a book titled Night. It's a profound book. In it, he penned, Never shall I forget the faces of the little children, whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for eternity of the very desire to live. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. I ceased to be anything but ashes, yet I felt myself to be stronger than the Almighty to whom my life previously had been tied for so long. In the foreword of that book, another author said this, for Eli, Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's uh, cry expressed an almost physical reality. God is dead. The God of love is dead. The death of God in the soul of a child who discovered absolute evil. Huh. Oh, the depths of suffering and the possible consequences. 
There was a woman named Corey Tenboom who was there. She was not Jewish, uh, but she was imprisoned in death camps for aiding Jewish people. She experienced torture. She saw people murdered. She watched her sister die. She lived much of the same horrible suffering as Weissel. She wrote a book titled The Hiding Place. Some of you have read that. Her book is not one of protest. She does recount stories of sacrifice in the midst of suffering, compassion in the midst of crisis. And Corey survived the death camp, if you remember. She wrote about it. Her sister Betsy did not. While they were there, they both held on to their trust in God, a God who they cried out to and they experienced as an, as an inclining his ear to them. They called out to God in their pain and responded to God in faith. So Eli said, I cease to be anything but ashes. Corey said, listen to what Corey said. However deep the pit, God's love is deeper still. It matters how we respond to suffering, doesn't it? In so many ways. There's a part of me that would like to align with Illy, protest suffering and evil, protest a God who doesn't seem to stop such things, be liberated from false hopes, naivety. But what if it's true that however deep the pit, God's love is deeper still? Hmm. I want to invite you into holding on to something, both now and even maybe in preparation for days of suffering. I was thinking, well, I, I like what Corey said. That I, I want to hold on to that. I want to hold on to that. However deep the pit, God's love is deeper still. But there, there may be four thing, other things that through Scripture and through people who have suffered profoundly, we can learn from. And I want to invite you to listen to these and to pick one today to maybe continue to hold on to. It occurred to me that we'll, we'll want to grab something. And I'm going to kind of suggest this in a way that this kind of helps me remember, but we'll, we, there's a couple things we could hold to. There's a, a few things we probably want to, like, actually hold off. There's some things we want to hold in, and there's really something we want to hold up that psalm, the psalmist speaks to in days of suffering. So what might we hold to? I want to hold to an honest perspective. You're like that, too. We don't want to pretend about these things. An honest perspective includes things like, this suffering is brutal, but it is not forever. That even helps me like when I go to the dentist. <laughs> you know, this will be over pretty soon. You know, people who aren't thinking that way often like avoid the dentist. Have you noticed that? Jesus taught his followers a new way of life he said things, crazy sounding things. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul. Huh. Another thing to hold on to, an honest perspective, is I actually don't fully understand 
but God truly knows and he cares. C.S. Lewis, I want to say one thing about this, who suffered deeply, but he also thought well and had an honest perspective. In his book, his good book called The Problem of Pain, you have to hear this. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar, penned this. We want not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, whose plan for the universe was such that it might be said at the end of every day, a good time was had by all. <laughs> I should very much like, he wrote, to live in a universe which was governed on such lines. But since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe nevertheless that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. In other words, I don't fully understand. The only problem, he says, listen, the only problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and limit God's wisdom by what seems to us to be wise. If you want that quote, I'll get it to you. It's, it's profound. Hold on to some honest perspectives. The second thing, you might pick this one. It helps us when we hold off some things. Have you noticed that? We can ask questions that actually dig our pit deeper. The Bible talks about this. People talk about this. You know what a, an unhelpful question is? One of them is why? Why? Why me? Why my child? Is God punishing me? Why is he, why is he doing that? Another one is, well, like, who's to blame? People asked Jesus about that in, in the book of John. There was this blind guy, and people said, well, like, who's to blame? Is it his sin or his parents? And Jesus didn't even go there. He redirected that thinking. Who's to blame is typically not a good question spiritually. The other thing that gets us in trouble is an unhelpful question is, well, who or what's the cause? What have I done to deserve this? You know, some people would tell you, well, you know, if you didn't have so much sin in your life, or if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be suffering. Well, maybe. Not always. Hold off on unhelpful questions. You might say, okay, if I stop that, what do I hold on to? What are some of the helpful questions we tend to hold on to? We see them in the Bible. We see it from the psalmist. The basic question is how not... Why, why, or who is to blame, or what is, what is the cause? It's hold on to how will I respond in the grace of God? How will I respond? I, I tend to insist on wanting to figure out or who or what caused this. It, it doesn't help all that much, but it can help profoundly if we say, who is God? How will I respond? By the way, two great ways we respond is asking the question, coming back to who is God? The psalmist did that. Did you notice? Verse 5, Psalm 116, God is gracious and he's righteous. He always does what's right. He's compassionate. Come back to a good question. Who is God, really, when we suffer? We easily interpret our God, in light of who, what our circumstances seem to be, what if we interpret our circumstances more in light of who God really is, you know? 
The other thing we know is of benefit, and it's all over in the Bible, is what could be the benefits of this suffering. That's a hard one to get to. Like, this isn't a great place to go to when people are in excruciating pain, but it does help us to get there at some point, does it not? Like, what could be some benefits? Um, we see this with athletes. They're willing to hurt and ache because of what it produces. Have you noticed we're often willing to participate in productive suffering if we anticipate some benefit? We, we, we may go to surgery, be, be willing to even be cut up if we have the idea that it might help heal, you know? Uh, you give your children injections and like a big old needle is scary and it's painful, why? Well, we think there might be some benefit, yeah? Scripture says suffering can benefit us in four key ways, at least. Romans 5 says it produces perseverance, then character, and then hope. Huh. Yeah? 1 Peter 1 says it refines and grows our faith. James 1 says it can develop maturity in us spiritually. Romans 8 says it's part of conforming us to the very image of Jesus. Hold on to helpful questions and who is God? What could be benefits of walking well and responding well to suffering? I find that very helpful. Otherwise, I just tend to focus on the miserable pain and the crazy questions. That's not helpful. The last thing, but a very important thing, that the psalmist explicitly does in Psalm 116 is he holds up, he holds up God's deliverance. Seen especially in verse 13. Lift up, I lift up the cup of salvation. You know, interestingly, we still do that. A little bit, in just a few minutes, we're going to lift up a cup. Do you know that that is the same image that the psalmist talks about? The original writing of Psalm 116, it was like a thanksgiving psalm of a guy that was saved from death, apparently, and given rest for his soul. Listen to this. Incline your ear. Don't miss this. In the Jewish tradition, Psalm 116 is a praise psalm. You notice that it ends with praise the Lord or hallelujah. Jewish people know this. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are Hallel psalms, psalms of praise. They end with hallelujah. Psalm 116 in particular is linked to Passover meal. It is traditionally in many churches read on Monday, Thursday during Holy Week. What do we do then? We recall Jesus' last meal with his disciples right before he went to the cross. Psalm 116 is a celebration and a response to deliverance from death. These images of death, says one Bible student, not only speak to the psalmist as he wrote it, but they speak to our future. They even anticipate the suffering of Jesus that would deliver us from death. Wow. When we suffer and wonder where God is, 
he is with us. A personal God who knows, hears, cares, and most likely cries with us. In our suffering, when we want to demand that God would see and experience suffering that we go through, he actually did. So right before we close with singing and going to the Lord's table where we'll lift up the cup of salvation, consider Jesus with me again for a bit. You know this, but incline your ear. Jesus was a teacher. He came full of grace and truth. He was also disgraced and falsely accused. He was the loyal one who was betrayed by those that he loved. He was one who healed people with a word or with a touch. He was severely beaten himself. He like experienced the brutal suffering of a criminal's death on a wooden cross. You might go, why in the world would that be? Sharp spikes driven through the tissues, tendons, nerves of his hands. Like blood was dripping from this mocking crown of thorns, the wounds of whips that had laced his back, a piercing pain before a mocking crowd. You know the story. And for the first time ever, when Jesus was on the cross, he was bearing the full weight of our pain and of our sin. His prayer for the first time ever to the Father would go unheard, unanswered, when he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 116 anticipates the suffering servant Jesus and the sacrificial death of Jesus. God so loved, listen, God so loved that he gave. And he gave in suffering and in sacrifice. The day after the Passover meal, the cross. The suffering, atoning death of Jesus. Theologians call it the great exchange. Are you familiar with that? What happened on the cross? He took our sin upon himself, and God credits Jesus' righteousness to us. A great exchange. For those who believe his death, that we might have life. However deep the pit, uh, God's love is deeper still. I want to hang on to that. Hopefully you do too. You may want to hold on to, hold off on, hold, hold, hold up certain things. For sure hold up God's deliverance as we remember Jesus' suffering. The worship band will come back up, we'll sing, reflect on this, uh, and remember as we hold up God's deliverance and the cup of our salvation. Remember Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That, that wasn't a period there. He went on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Lord, thank you for that. Um, 
We know you are well acquainted with sorrow and suffering, Lord. I pray today for those of us who are pierced with pain, who are awakened at night with deep hurt and suffering. We run now again to you. We do that in song, and we do that around communion, and we do that in prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.